The Emerald Lane podcast is supported by the generosity of its listeners. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider contributing at mlane.com. That's em-lane.com. Your donations will allow us to continue with the focus and effort required to produce these finely crafted episodes. Now, without further ado, the Emerald Lane. peoples, Aboriginal peoples around, they sometimes were assigned guardianship to never let anyone know about openings inside the earth. There's so many mysteries on your planet, and yet they all can be explained when you start to factor in that there has been a presence for hundreds of thousands of years invested in tricking you from understanding the multidimensional cooperation and intricacy of which you are a part. Now, you on Earth are part of the empire. You are only one colony of the empire. Remember, 15 years of your time is a day and a half to the Anunnaki. They sometimes have a hard time condensing their experience of time down into yours, just as you are boggled by theirs. This translates to they cannot always find your time. You assume or presume that if visitors come from space, that they are going to find your now. But think of this, people. All time is simultaneous. And the time structures that you are in are containers built on calendars so that you can have an experience. And because you have been genetically altered and your cranial capacity is limited, they were easily able to make these containers and have you think that's all there is. In simple terms, Enki and his sister left openings in your DNA and are working those openings sort of as a time capsule that is firing off during the nano years. That's our term for 1987 through 2012. The nano years, meaning that they fly by like a nanosecond. And the post-nano years, which is what you are in now. We call these years the change over years from 2013 through and including 2027, the biggest changes of your lifetimes. Magnanimous, absolutely mind-boggling. The changes of the nano years were the speeding of time and the intrusion of technology. Now, in these years, come the visitations, the mysteries, the stories. Everything starts to make sense. It is now time for all of the, the threads that seem to be unconnected, the pieces of the puzzle 
start to make sense. These are the most important years of your life. You will see the most dramatic changes. These changes were set into activation by some astrological configurations. Those of you who are astrologically astute may understand this, that since perhaps 2011, through and including 2015, you had a series of seven uh, astrological squares between the planet Pluto and the planet Uranus. These effects since 2011 have been breaking down and dismantling the planetary systems that are working against people. Unfortunately, you're going to see a lot of governmental and systemic collapse. The top clock is ticking, the timer is on, and the Ponzi scheme has been the financial situation. And this is where you probably are going to feel it the most. It looks, and again, things can look a certain way and the probabilities can change because there's no one future that you are all in. Every time you change your mind, you change the way things come down. When you say to yourself, well, I'm not here for any nuclear explosions, I am not going to be in a, a destroyed reality. Well, guess what? You won't be then. Because there's so many choices. And yet when it's winter, you are not going to turn it into summer. Oh, you may for a few hours, but you are not going to change the seasons. But you certainly can change how and where you experience many aspects of your future. So, for example, if an economic collapse occurs, which really looks likely because all over the globe there's a lot of scuttlebutts. The Ponzi scheme has been, you've been trading pieces of paper, they're worth nothing. They used to be worth something, but now they are worth nothing because someone in the back room keeps rolling out more and they're backed not by any kind of precious goals. There's nothing valuable to back them. And your currency could be backed by diamonds, emeralds, anything. Anything it is great value could be kept in one place and then, and then papers distributed, but that's not how it is. Now remember, any financial system knows that it's going to be the most powerful system if it is backed by gold. And the U.S. used to be the big gold reserve currency, the dollar. The U.S. is going to go belly up. It is going belly up. And when the U.S. goes belly up, some of you say, oh good, they deserve it. That's fine. But it's going to affect the entire globe. It's going to break the back of world economy. And it looks as if it is going to be the Chinese with their renminbi and their won and their 30,000 tons of gold that they've just announced they have. It's going to be a huge, huge switch. The euro is in just as much trouble as the US dollar. It looks as if, friends, because there are some things you can change, but when something is worthless, it's not going to be propped up forever. So we are giving you a big heads up. There are strong indications that the next economic collapse is probably sooner rather than later. And it's being put off because when these collapses occur, they don't suddenly catch everyone by surprise. They are planned. Because insiders pass the word and they say, oh, time to get out. We're giving you two months. Sell your stocks. Buy up precious metals. Put your houses on the market. 
get top dollar because there's going to be a crash coming and when it comes it's going to make the crash of 2008 look like it was a preschool bow tying party we are giving you heads up that things that start to occur could really set things into motion it's going to be interesting very interesting do not invest in fear and certainly do not lead with ignorance lead with intelligence and do not be afraid of what you know and do not let those in ignorance dominate your mind if someone insists on being uninformed and ignorant let them go spend some time with them but do not waste this precious lifetime dear friends in arguing with those who refuse to grow seek out greater understanding and seek out good times you think why how could I have a good time if all these things are happening around the world when you get together and you walk by the seashore when you visit the old stone sites when you pack up a picnic when you get together in the pub and you cheer and you toast to uh, activating the DNA this is you taking charge of your lives and whether you are going to change the planet that may be in question but you are certainly going to enhance your soul's experience for why you have come here and as our vehicle explained to you you change your life cannot help but changing and influencing the lives of those around you. All right, that's our opening introduction. We're going to open it to questions, and we know that uh, you have plenty. Again, we're going to ask you to speak loud and clear. If we have to ask you more than a few times, we will move on. So I see the world as this big irrational ball and I use the hypnotist persuader skills to back up and try to deduce you know, what's really driving things. And when people said I was a Trump supporter, what they meant was, um, they may have only seen part of what I was talking about, I was writing about his skill as a persuader. And what I mean is that I noticed in him the skills that I've developed over decades for persuasion but at a higher level than I've ever seen, meaning that he is the most persuasive living human I've ever experienced. And I mean that in terms of uh, actual technique. You know, he's, he's full of technique and it's all the time. I'll give you, give you some examples of that. First time I noticed it was the very first debate when uh, Megyn Kelly was asking him the question about the insults he had allegedly said to women. Not allegedly, he said them. And this is a setup that any other politician with this setup is totally trapped because they can either try to like deny they said it and then somebody has a videotape and that doesn't work or they can say, oh, I didn't mean it. There's almost nothing you can say. You're just trapped. And, and that would have been the end of his campaign. First debate should have been over. And if you remember, do you remember what he said? No, I don't. 
she said, you said this, this, and this about women, and he smiled, and he, he sort of looked at the audience it looked like, or the camera, and he said, only Rosie O'Donnell, and the audience erupted in laughter, completely unexpected, out of place, inappropriate, provocative, and, and what I noticed was that Rosie O'Donnell is, a, is a, a visual image that everybody shares, right? You got a picture of her since mm. I say the name. And for his base that he was catering to, it was an unpopular image and one that would just suck all the energy away from the question, which was toxic. You just have to suck all the energy into another part of the room and wait for the time to run out. And that's what he did. But the way he escaped that got my attention. And I thought, that doesn't look normal. All right, that, that's, a, that's operating at another level. And so I looked for more examples of it. And you could see it everywhere. And it was especially clear by the time he started saying, um, well, well, the other visual things he does is he says, build a wall. And you can just imagine a wall. He always goes for the visual. Because we know that the, the visual part of our brain is the dominant part. And if you can get its attention and get it on your message, it talks the rest of your brain into anything you want it to. So that was the first thing I noticed. Then when he got to Jeb Bush, and he, he needed to defeat Jeb because he was the strongest competitor, so if he couldn't get past him, there was no point. And he went after him strong, and he went after him fast. I call these linguistic kill shots. It's not just an insult, it's not just a clever nickname, but look at low energy Jeb. Here's how it's engineered. It's engineered for confirmation bias, meaning that you want the future to make this look like a better nickname every day and he wanted to match his physicality. So before I ever heard low energy Jeb, I had a good impression of Jeb Bush. Like I, I thought, when you looked at Jeb Bush, didn't you say to yourself, this guy looks like a cool character? Like, no. If, if, no, but he looked like he was an in control, um, calm, reasonable, exactly the person you'd want if the, if the nuclear you know, question came up, if there was some big decision. Jeb Bush isn't going to get excited about it. He seemed it. like a competent CEO. Competent CEO, exactly. And as soon as Trump said low energy, could you see him any <laughs> other way? He was low energy, and he will always be low energy. And Lion Ted. Crooked Hillary, same thing. I heard Crooked Hillary. I, I saw her like with like a burglar's mask on, trying to sneak away with bags that had dollar signs on them. You yeah. know? So I took the Dale Carnegie course, teaching you how to be a public speaker. And their course taught you zero technique. It was, a, it was a course on public speaking in which they taught you nothing about technique. What they taught you was just confidence. And, and if you were happy and confident, you would almost always do well. Even if you make a mistake, you just correct. So he strikes me as the confident Dale Carnegie type of speaker, the person who's, who's selling an emotion. Mm -hmm. All right, it's an experience. You're not going there really to get information. It's, it's not really you know, well-crafted jokes you're looking for. You're going there to feel something. And you can't, you can't deny that 30,000 people in a stadium with red hats on, you know, they were feeling something. So in terms of delivering an emotion, top 10%. Look, look what he kept saying all the time. He was always saying he was the energy guy, energy yeah. guy, look at my crowds. The other one has no stamina. This one's, you know, low energy. Um, he knew that facts didn't matter. He knew that policy didn't matter. And by the end, I think everybody agrees they didn't. I mean, by, by election day, not a lot of people were saying, well, I sure like that TPP stand. Mm. I mean, nothing like that was happening. There was they, no issues. No issues. It just, it just 
came down to which one you hated the more. This is this cannot possibly be real. To speak to your software simulation idea in the beginning that a lot of people share, by the way, it's not just crazy Scott Adams and me, but there's a lot of folks out there that think that we're living in a simulation. I mean, you saw the Women's March, which, okay, I'm cool with it, you know, I'm down with women's rights. We went. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw your pictures at the time. Yeah, right. Some of the signs, and like, I took a bunch of pictures of the signs, I can show them to you, but it was to the point, I'm walking, my nine-year-old son, 
all these different signs, you know, pussy power, pussy oh, power, yeah, you know. My nine-year-old son's like, Dad, what's pussy? Are you serious? And I'm like, okay. I knew this day would come. I didn't know it was going to come. But yeah, just swipe, uh, swipe this way. And just read some of those, you know, and if you want to read them out loud or whatever, but yeah. I'm a fallopian dude. Yeah. Here for my sisters, not just my sisters. As opposed to cis, that's cis, what are cis? Cis, like cisgender. Uh, but yeah, cisgender is like, that is the gender you're born with, yeah. If you're, you're either cis or you're trans. So there's like gay and straight, there's cis and trans, there's, you know. Queer, there's. Yeah, which, whatever. Right. You know, whatever. Right. Uh, nasty women make history. Bad for my pussy. It's a douche <laughs> bottle with a picture of Trump. Uh, democracy hath no fury like a pussy scorned. Stop pretending your racism is patriotism. And on and on, there's a lot more. Um, we the pussy, not we the people. Hands off my pussy. Do you see that white girl who made a sign that said, white women, we elected Trump, and she was walking through... Uh, a march somewhere, a white girl. Yeah. She, and she posted on Facebook. I thought that was like really subversive and like, you know, yeah. it was weird. It, it, yeah. was a, it was a protest. She was down with the movement, but she did something very meta and very like, and black women were coming up to her like, you know, yeah, thank you. And then white women were uncomfortable with it. And, and it was just like a weird, I, I appreciate shit like that. It's yeah. like, you know, making challenging things, making people think in, in different ways but while being supportive. But some of that is also fostering, like, white guilt, too. You know, and that's not yeah, helpful. Yeah, true. So, I mean, it's tough. But uh, my point with all that, with the signs... Your son, your with, son. Yeah, my son. Yeah. Was that, so yeah, I'm in a place, and yeah, I do support women's rights, but now you just, you just read some of those signs. That was half of what I took pictures of. And there were thousands and thousands of signs. It was very creative. And then there were some uplifting ones, and I took some of those, too. Um, so I can, you know, I want to march for women's rights, but how, how did that come about, by the way? The decision to do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, my wife, she wanted to go. And so we woke up Saturday morning. I was like, so you and she was going to take my daughter. And I said, so you and you guys uh, are going to go down. Yeah, there. you and the daughter, you guys still going down there. And she said, you know, there'll be a lot of men there, too. And, oh, you know, right. So it was like, you know, it's all good. It was yeah. cool. You know, it was cool. And what it was, was an experience. Like? Was there like a thing where dudes were kind of like... So yeah, so, but yeah, uh, the, the vibe was... See, that was the thing. The vibe was very welcoming. It was yeah. totally welcoming. Which, I mean, I took a picture of a woman who was topless. I took a picture of her back, but she was topless holding up What did your son say to that? What was he thinking? I mean, by then, it's, his mind was like, you know... Swimming in yeah, fucking swimming in, like, you know, cis, trans, pussy, you know? Um, you know what I will say, though... <laughs> A very positive thing to the social media activism is that I think we're witnessing the dawning of how powerful and how efficiently we can organize with social media. Because I've seen people talking about um, California seceding and trying to get that hashtag together and everything, which is interesting to me. And then I've also seen a couple people talk about um, let's stop paying taxes. And that's been my big idea for a long time because I don't agree with our tax money going to bombing little children over here and using ways that we're not even told about. Just the, just the tax rate, just the tax thing in general. Like, it needs to be well, rethought. 
Like yeah, I work hard all you know all year, and then at the end of the year, this guy comes and says, "Let me get my piece." You yeah. know, I'm down to fund roads, schools, infrastructure, whatever. All this other shit. Four million said, government employees. Also. Yeah, yeah. There's all this other stuff, and it's like, so I'd like to see at some point. You know, people say, hey, look, we're all not paying taxes at the same time. What are you going to do about it? They don't have the resources, you know? Yeah. It's complicated, though. There is, first of all... That's going to happen, Seth. I'm not saying no tax. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm seeing a social organism form that can unite very quickly in one accord, in a focused way, and say, look, we're not doing this. And what can they do? They say, you guys aren't paying federal tax anymore? You guys are only going to pay 5% federal tax? Right. Like, yeah. No, I understand. What is that going to do except keep a few more bucks in our pocket? Because... Or stop funding wars. Do you take all of that money from all 300 million Americans and put it in a pot? It's still less than half of what we're actually spending. And that's very conservative. I've heard like in any given month we spend seven to eight times as much as we actually bring in in tax revenue. Really? That's and they can print they, money as well. They just, yeah, they just print it. I mean, then you get to whatever. the Fed. I mean, forget about it. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, it's still, still, I still think that an organized citizenry mm-hmm. saying we're not going to pay tax, but, it affects yeah. things in a way where people are like, uh, what's going on? Yeah, here? but here's the thing. The, that's why black people and white people, Democrats and Republicans, sure are being separated sure, yeah, yeah. and i would almost venture to say we haven't been this much at odds since you know king was yeah, alive yeah dude i mean have you heard of this guy he was the former assistant secretary under reagan anyway he talks a lot about how trump is this figure that the oligarchs are trying to stop first um through media slander he still got in they say that he says in his uh, opinion that if they can't stop him and what he's doing, they're just going to crash the economy. Yeah. And the Fed will, because they make up all the rules of how things go. Yeah. They'll crash it and then say, hey, look, you want us to bail you out or, you know, whatever. And everyone will be like, thanks, Trump. You know, yeah. yeah right. we, we all saw it coming. Yeah. He, he went bankrupt here. He's corrupt. Yeah, yeah. Dude, the narrative is there. To do no, yeah, absolutely. Right. No, I, yeah. And there are, some, there are some elements. I know that quantitative easing is going to end. Thank you.
returning guest, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. President Reagan appointed Dr. Roberts Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy, and he was confirmed in office by the U.S. Senate. I wanted to start off here with uh, the corporate media, the elite, and they're pushing the term fake news out there. And that's all we hear. Everything is fake news. What are they trying to do with this term fake news? Why are they pushing that out there right now? Well, they are losing control over the explanations that are given to the people. This media produces news that allow the ruling elites to control the explanations. They allow the banks and Wall Street. They allow the extractive industries, agribusiness. These are the groups that control the explanations, and this has probably been true, especially since the final years of the Clinton regime, when 90% of the media, American media, which had once had the potential of being independent, 90% of this media was concentrated in the hands of six mega firms, so that uh, all independence disappeared. Uh, the media is no longer run by journalists. And so the news that the Americans have gotten, such as uh, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction, Assad's use of chemical weapons, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, all of these things are fake news that are put out to serve the agendas of the ruling elites. Now, what has happened with the rise of the high-speed internet and the rise of lots of internet sites who challenge the fake news issued by the prostitute media, this alternative media, they have gained a larger and larger audience. And so the elites are losing control over the explanations to independent internet sites. And so now they're trying to shut up these sites or discredit them by saying that if you tell the truth, the truth is fake news. They're trying to retain control of the explanations. Yeah, I mean, you wrote an article. I mean, we know that Trump now is the president and he had this inaugural address that he, you know, spoke out to the people. And you were saying that the Washington Post and the New York Times, they were disappointed in what he said. Well, the whole thing was upsetting because he attacked the ruling elites. You know, they were sitting there, up there around him. <laughs> you should have seen the expressions <laughs> on some of their faces. Uh, he was saying, look, these people have done nothing but sell you out uh, he, in a number of ways. You know, he specified all the ways, and then he completely abandoned the agenda of the ruling elites. He said, uh, we're not going to uh, impose American hegemony on the rest of the world. It's not what we're going to do. We're not going to let the global corporations uh, continue to move all your jobs and prospects offshore. Uh, we're not having any more of these so-called trade agreements that, in, that empower them to do that. 
he completely rejected the entirety of the agenda that has been ruling. So this is why the New York Times and the Washington Post, the, these are the two biggest whores in the Western world. And their entire reason for existence is to produce the propaganda that sustains the ruling elites. Do you think they're going to try to control him, actually? Yes, they will try to find some way of uh, controlling him. Uh, right now, clearly, uh, he's calling the shots. If he weren't calling the shots, he wouldn't have given that speech. So uh, what he did in that speech in part of the whole world was to send the elites to hell. I mean, this was a complete, total rejection of them, a denunciation of them. And if they were controlling him, he wouldn't have been allowed to give that speech. Will they take this to the next level? Uh, you know, first they tried to block him from the Republican nomination by demonizing him. And it didn't work. And that's when we began to see they really were losing control of the explanations. Uh, the extraordinary assault on Trump during the Republican uh, campaign for the nomination had no effect on the outcome. He just rolled over all the uh, establishment candidates. And so this was the first inkling that, hey, look, um, the elites are losing control of the explanations. No one paid attention. They gave, they voted Trump. Then they, of course, redoubled uh, these efforts during the presidential campaign. You know, they were completely for Hillary, completely against Trump, fantastic demonizations and accusations, and it didn't work. So we've had a second major piece of uh, evidence that the elites have lost control of the explanations. Uh, so then they tried to really um, stop him from being president. You know, they tried to influence the Electoral College to get them not to vote for Trump on the grounds that he was elected by Putin's interference in American elections. Um, <clears throat> they, um, uh, and that didn't work. Um, and so they tried to delegitimize de him by massive protests of the inauguration. These kinds of dirty tricks show a desperation. I mean, it is really desperate. So, no, they're not going to give up. What, what will happen? Well, it's hard to know, but uh, the elites are defeated in the election, but they're still there. Um, they will um, be able to carry on fake news, though I don't think it, it works. Uh, the covert part of the CIA could possibly orchestrate false flag events that would make it hard for Trump to uh, continue with his agenda. The Federal Reserve could uh, orchestrate an economic crisis that would uh, move him off his agenda. Do you think Trump's life is in danger? Uh, in the end, it could be, yeah. If he's able to do anything. Because the House and Senate, they are dependent on the very elite that lost the election to Trump. So they can be used to block, to stymie, to delay, to wear down Trump's agenda. If that doesn't succeed, if somehow Trump is able to turn his presidency into a movement where the people are, are very... Bishnu, 
something on your face. No, I don't. It's like America. I feel like America is like the, the world's worst girlfriend. America is like a terrible girlfriend to the rest of the world. Because when somebody hurts America, she remembers it forever. But if she does anything bad, it's like, it what? It did, I didn't do anything. America, why do you keep bombing those people in Yemen and all these people? It's because 9-11, okay? 9-11! Okay, well you killed hundreds of thousands of people, so I think... Yeah, now but 9-11! Fuck yeah! And damn! Yeah, but you're torturing people. I did... It wasn't even torture. Oh my god. He's such a
unfortunate, man. When you say shit, like when I was a kid, when I was this kid right here, I was always, when I grew up, I constantly was saying stuff. And what I would hear from people all the time was, that's weird. It was weird, I, I didn't even notice it. I just thought people were being funny, but then I realized that after a while, it, it was a, a theme I was constantly hearing. Yeah. People would always be like, you're a weirdo. Yeah. That's weird. And I would just be saying natural shit. I'm not trying to be weird. I would just be talking normal. Yeah. And the reaction from people was, that's weird. He's weird. And I'd be like, when I turned like 15, I finally was like, I got started getting mad. What the fuck is wrong? What do you mean weird? <laughs> yeah. I'm just talking, dude. Why do you keep saying I'm weird? And I started to like rebel against it. Yeah. It's like, what is wrong with you? that I'm talking. I'm glad you said it, because I was, I was saying like that kind of makes you start looking at other people like, so if everybody thinks that I'm weird, like how many people, and then you run into a couple people like, oh, you think the same way. So are we, am I weird or are they weird that they can't see? That's, that's how I started looking at it. They call me egotistical. I started looking at it like, yo, you guys are slow. You don't have no imagination. You are at a deficit. You know, because I'm not doing any, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just talking normal. This is how I feel. And the fact that you come out and say, oh, that's weird. Yo, you're a weirdo. It's like, what are you, retarded or something? Like, I'm just talking. Anyway, so. Um, that is weird to me, man. Like, I'm just, I'm not talking out. Do you mind if I smoke outside? Yeah, yeah I mean, you can smoke here if you want to. Open the door if you want to. It's raining though, I think. Oh, okay. I know, rain keeps sneaking up on me. Yeah. Feel free to smoke
language logos the informing spirit but yes no the whole thrust yes and the and the nothing is predetermined uh, in the hermetic system because through magic we can overcome the energies of cosmic fate this is the great good news of of hermeticism that we are not subject to fate uh, we should probably talk a little about this Logos concept. Uh, this is something which seems very alien to modern people unless they are psychedelically sophisticated. The Logos was the sine qua non of Hellenistic religion. And what it was was an informing voice that spoke in your head or your heart, wherever you want to put it, and it told you the right way to live. You get this idea even in the later Old Testament where uh, it's said that uh, the truth of the heart is can be known. That, if, that it is no great dilemma to know good from evil. You simply inquire of your heart, is it good or evil? And you will discover a, a voice which will tell you and and all the great thinkers of this greco-hellenistic period uh, sought and cultivated the logos plato had his demon everyone sought the informing voice of the noose that's what it's called in neoplatonism and then in hermeticism i mean in and in hermeticism and then in gnosticism the logos now, uh, for modern people, well, no, for me, the only way I've ever had this experience is in the presence of psychedelic substances. And then it is just crystal clear. There is no ambiguity about it. Somehow it's possible for an informing voice to come into cognition that knows more than you do. It is a connection with the collective unconscious, I suppose, that is convivial, conversational, and just talks to you about uh, uh, the nature of being in the world and the nature of your being in the world. Uh, it's puzzling to us because it seems so remote. I mean, for us, a voice in the head or the heart is pathology. And uh, you may know the famous story of, uh, in the first century, uh, some fishermen were off the shore of the island of Argos in the Mediterranean Sea, and they
works closely with the U.S. space agency NASA on these very issues. Space weather is driven primarily by the sun. There are magnetic fields swirling underneath the surface of the sun, and occasionally these magnetic fields knot up and explosively release this large blast of material that we call a coronal mass ejection, and it is spectacular in size and scope. There can be some 10 billion tons of material expelled at uh, huge velocities, perhaps 7 or 8 million miles an hour. When that reaches the Earth, the interaction of a fast-flowing cannonball of hot gas from the sun can induce currents that flow in our ionosphere, and those can couple down into long electrical lines such as a power grid. And this is what starts to heat transformers and break down components of the backbone power grid. So it's power grids, really, that are particularly vulnerable to these kind of coronal mass ejections. The effects on the power grid are probably the most concerning. However, that's not the only thing we're concerned about. Suppose that we saw a a very powerful active region on the sun eight minutes after it occurred on the sun, but at the speed of light, we would see powerful X-rays emitted by the flare. Those could have blackout kind of effects on the day side of the Earth for many of the high frequencies that are used for ground-based and aircraft communication. A short while thereafter, energetic particles from the sun could have possibly devastating effects on many of the satellites that we rely on. About, say, three-quarters of a day later, the coronal mass ejection could make its way toward the Earth, and that would then begin the powerful geomagnetic storms that we most fear. The effects on the power grid would start to mount at that point. So that's the sequence that we most dread, I think. So we're not ready, you're saying, basically? We're not ready. We are a lot more ready than we were a decade ago, but we are not as ready as we ought to be. Do we know how often these things might happen? Well, we certainly do know that storms from the sun are a fairly common occurrence around the peak of the 11-year solar activity cycle. We have just gone through the last activity maximum. The next one, then, will be into the 2020s. I'm Trevor Maynard, Head of Exposure Management and Reinsurance at Lloyds of London. When it comes to space weather, what are the risks to the global economy? A coronal mass ejection can cause currents of electricity on the Earth. The energy grid can be taken down. The transformers that take the high potential electricity and convert it into sort of lower potential energy, they can be burnt out by these currents that get induced. And if that happens, then you would have a power outage for a very significant amount of time. These transformers are all fairly non-standard in build, and they take a long time, like a matter of months, to make them. So actually, if you do take out a number of them, then you're talking about a long time before you can re-plug in the new technology and get back up and running again, and that's the problem. Paint to me what the worst-case scenario would look like. Well, the true worst-case is fairly horrific, but the question is, how plausible is it? So it could take out the energy infrastructure for about two years. There isn't a sort of shop you can go to and buy these transformers. They take several months to make 
the capacity is about 60 to 70 a year that can be made and some of these scenarios take out two to three hundred transformers. I'm sure in that situation the governments of the world will turn their energies towards it and it will speed up but nevertheless there'll be a lag there. So you're without power for a long time and then of course so many systems in society rely on power so your sewage would stop working you might get a backup of sewage your water might stop running the mobile network what if they don't have power then you can't communicate where is your food coming from because if the system's fallen down then well maybe you can't get the food so it could you know in the nightmare scenario it could be a very big societal impact so the Carrington event is the precedent we've got to work on but it could be worse than that couldn't it yeah, in fact, there are descriptions of the aurora coming down to as far as Rome and various places. So we know there have been larger events in history. There's always a risk with something like that that we haven't assessed the full potential. But we have at least got a couple of thousand years of historical record of something of that magnitude. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump neck to neck as we speak in terms of the polls and uh, we are at great risk of having a Trump presidency and so the support that Green Party has across the country has to be weighted in terms of this risk of world peace and uh, so when it comes to the crunch are you going to ask Green Party members to vote for Hillary Clinton in this election in order to avoid uh, war and conflict in the world? Absolutely not. Uh, we, we, that would be a violation of our commitment to democracy. It would, be, it, would to, it would play right into a narrative that we believe is false. This notion that uh, the uh, Democrat Party under Hillary Clinton would be more committed to peace, there's no evidence to, to support that. I mean, we look at what has happened over the last eight years under the Obama administration. We've had uh, a continuation of the war in Afghanistan. We have the reinvasion of Iraq. We've had the uh, attack and destruction of Libya with the consequent uh, destabilization that's taken place across North Africa. We've seen the subversion uh, in, in Venezuela and across Latin America. 
uh, we, we've seen uh, some dubious behavior, questionable behavior on the part of U.S. intelligence in places like South Africa. We've seen the uh, pivot to, to China. You know, if, if that's not militarism, then what do, we, what do we call that? So the notion that a Donald Trump uh, presidency would be even wilder than that, to me, uh, doesn't really make sense. We have the evidence, the clear evidence, of the direction of the Democrats, where we have the wild statements on the part of Trump, but yet Trump still says things like he'll be willing to sit down and talk with the Russians. You know, he, he, he represents a sector of the, of the ruling element that just wants to do business. So, you know, uh, this, this, this narrative that we will be safer under a, a, a hawkish, uh, militaristic uh, uh, Democrat uh, named Hillary Clinton uh, to me is is absurd. Thank you for joining us on the real news. Talk to all of you that are shaking in your boots. What are we gonna do? That crazy man, he's the president and he don't like black people. He don't like Mexicans. He don't like Muslims. Maybe so. Who cares? We don't give a damn what he likes or what he don't like. The future is not his. The future is ours. Don't wet your pants. No, sir. No, sir. Hold on to your pants. Yes, sir. They need to be frightened, yes, sir. not you. That's right. That's why the subject was, have no fear for the future. The future is ours. Yes, sir, brother. I'm going to prove that. Yes, Boy, stop crying out there. Stop crying, crying, crying. Throwing negativity into the vibrational atmosphere. Negativity, fear. Get off a of defense and get on offense is what I'm trying to tell you. You know this is an illusion. 
that this is a simulation that we're in, that in your mind, what you see, you generate, that creates? You know how powerful that is? Out here crying about a man. And as far as Trump, he actually could be the blessing that you're looking for. The, uh, the necessary step to leave all of the unconsciousness by destroying, laying waste to an obsolete system, a war machine. It could just be one step closer to a conscious civilization. Could be the answer to your prayer. Anyway, we can't keep lobbing negativity at each other. We gotta go towards solutions, man. And the biggest solution I can see, as far as I can see, is that inside of us, we have a creative ability. The mind, and your meditation, and your thoughts. Man, you could bring, you could change this whole existence, man. These are things we should be getting to. We should all be meditating in circles. Out here, uh, you know, parading with signs and all that stuff. That's the old way, man. That's from the 50s, man. That's from the 60s. This is 2017, man. It's time to get on that. It's time to get on that vibrational change, man. It's time to get on that quantum. The elections, politicians, uh, bureaucracy, all of these things are corpses. They're obsolete. Our telescopes are looking further into the cosmos. There's a star four light years away, and we've discovered seven or so planets that are alongside of a star. Crystal planets, man. I'm talking about look up in the sky. Put your, your iPad down, man. Crystal planets. We're in the middle of an infinite mystery all around us. Magic. You leave the atmosphere, you're floating. Everything's floating. I was watching the NASA station the other day on YouTube. Astronauts and everybody up there was just floating. I'm like, yo, it's not about elections and all these politicians. That stuff's the old way. Fine, it's here still. But it's time that we elect ourselves. We have latent gifts that are becoming more and more strong every day. Your intuition. We're talking about portals opening up, man. Yeah, we'll see the Space Brothers probably in the next decade or so. But before that, we got gifts. We have tools that we've been given. Thoughts. Miraculous, world-shaping powers. We could use together. If we just put down this old way. <sighs> Thank you for listening to another podcast. Please donate. It's hard work, boy. This thing takes hours, hours every day. Every time, hours, man. Donate at the Emerald Lane website. I'll see you on the next one. Next, 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 next.